When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Deep, deep cuts. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Deep Cuts Lost and Found. This is round number 16. The year that we are uh, playing with is 1989. A couple years after we all graduated from high school, I'm here with my best friends from uh, high school. I'm here with Derek Brain, Bill Federico, Chris Nashawati, Richard Eyre, myself, Thomas Golovich. We are exploring some of our favorite overlooked songs, artists, great stuff to share with you. It's Deep Cuts Lost and Found. Welcome to the show. So 1989 is the year that we are looking at today. Did uh, anybody feel like there was anything noticeable about what you collected that year? Like any sort of consistent themes and what you were able to find? I was buying a boatload of CDs at the time, and there were some great releases, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but nothing nothing strange or anything about the year. Yeah, it was interesting to me in looking at some of your picks ahead of time, Sneak Peek, was just that there were songs that I remember loving by artists that I completely forgot about. Lost and found, Tommy. Yeah, it was really kind of a, a very exciting way of kind of uh, re-going back to that time period. Well, let's start with the year. Let's talk about 1989, what happened that year. Chris, you are in charge of the year in review. I am, and 1989 was a heck of a year. Uh, George Bush was sworn in as the 41st president of the United States with uh, that uh, deep thinker Dan Quayle as his VP. <laughs> Tato. Yep. U.S. troops invaded Panama, going after uh, Manuel Noriega. The Exxon Valdez oil spill in Alaska's Prince William Sound was a big deal. The Berlin Wall came down. I think I would have led with the Berlin Wall. That was kind of a big deal. All right, well, Bill, we can reorder this in any way you see fit. <laughs> Salman Rushdie was, uh, he had a fatwa on his head from uh, <laughs> the good people in Iran for uh, the Satanic Verses. There was a Tiananmen Square demonstration, mm -hmm. a very uh, iconic image of a man uh, standing in front of a tank. There was uh, Lucille Ball died. I think that's probably up there with, with some of the ones that uh, I just listed. Sex, Lies, and Videotape gave birth to the indie film movement. Nice. But at the box office, we were watching uh, things like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Batman, and Back to the Future 2. Uh, some of the films that we might have been more interested in were Do the Right Thing, mm -hmm. Drugstore Cowboy. Yes. Mm. Great movie. Uh, of course, Tango and Cash. Who can forget? <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was a good year for movies. Uh, on the Billboard charts, top three albums of the songs of the year. Ready for this? Mm -hmm. And this will tell you that pop music was ready to be overthrown. Hit us. Number one, Look Away by Chicago. Number two, My Prerogative by Bobby Brown. Number three, Every Rose Has Its Thorn by Poison. Whew. Now, if that isn't a billboard chart waiting for Nirvana to come along <laughs> and kick the shit out of it, I don't know what is. Setting the stage. 
last note of interest is that the first World Wide Web server and browser were developed by one Tim Berners-Lee. Is that Al Gore's pseudonym? It is not. <laughs> but uh, thanks to him, we are available to uh, all of the people who are listening right now. Oh, nice. Wait, wait, way to bring it back. Yeah. Put the final leg on that stool with that one. <laughs> I also think like this time, this is sort of like the apex of college rock, mm. you know, this idea of college. Like it's not even something that exists anymore, that, that sort of concept, but this period of time where, you know, the college rock radio state, the college radio stations, you know, just as strong a signal as all the commercial stations, but on the left of the dial, you know, a real kind of powerhouse tastemakers at a certain point for certain bands. You know, R.E.M. would not have been who R.E.M. is without sort of college radio stations. But I feel like this is kind of the the apex of that movement and of that concept is probably around now. Did anybody DJ in college on a radio? Yes. College radio station? Yes. Yep. Nice. Mm -hmm. Freshman year. The midnight to 3 a.m. shift. Saturday nights. The best shift. Yep, that's right. It's the overnight shift. You got to love it. Yeah. I joined you once on that, and we had some fun. Yes, you did, with a big bag of helium. <laughs> that's right. I brought a bag of helium. And... Does helium come in bags? Is that how it's delivered? Well, when your dad works for Harvard, it sure does. <laughs> Dad's a scientist. You can get all helium in all sorts of delivery systems. All kinds of gases. Yeah. Uh, you know. That was a fun show. <laughs> Speaking of Nirvana, today, I believe, is the 30-year anniversary of the release of Nevermind. But the day, as we were recording this today, so whoever. Correct. Is this the year that Bleach came out? Yep. yep. Was that 89? It was Bleach. But I certainly don't think Bleach was necessarily on my radar at this time. But, you know, a few years later, sure. There was an interesting streak of, like, um, UK club music making it into the pop world. Like, I noticed that, like, Soul to Soul, Back to Life was a huge hit. Um, Black Box, Right on Time, which was like an Italian house band. That was a big hit. Black Box also had Everybody, Everybody, right? Yep. I love that song. Uh, Technotronic, Pump Up the Jam. They were from Belgium which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, Millie Vanilli had a big hit. They're German R&B. It's this weird, inauthentic R&B thing. Are we calling them German R&B? I don't know. I guess that's, they were from <laughs> Germany. So I guess okay. that counts, right. you know. Is it, right. is it a genre? I'm not sure. I think that's an interesting thing. I didn't know faking a song was a genre. <laughs> <laughs> I think actually as of the, the charts of 1989, it partly is. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. And the movies were interesting. Like I noticed like Heathers was released in 89. Okay. And that was kind nice of like call. a neat movie. Um, yeah, it's it's a very interesting year. Do the Right Thing came out that year. Like, Do the Right Thing and Sex, Lies, and Videotape are these incredibly important films. And as Chris put it, it's like, it truly is an entire new world that opened up as far as independent film. Was I with one of you guys for Do the Right Thing? It was at the Nickelodeon near BU. I was with Derek. Wait, did you come with Pam and I and in Brooklyn? In Brooklyn. Yes, I was there. Oh, wow. That was an experience. Was that intense? We were like one of the few white people in uh, a theater in Brooklyn watching Do the Right Thing. It was definitely a different experience than seeing at the dead of mall or what have you. <laughs> were you cheering Mookie on? Were you telling him to throw it through Sal's window? For sure. There was a big <laughs> cheer when Mookie threw that trash can. For sure. Yeah. But, you know. Also, the Soviets pulled out of Afghanistan, which I think is kind of current. No, I think that was last I think that was, I had that as 88. I think there were 79 to 8. I think their last tanks pulled out in 89. Oh, go. <laughs> Save it for the Thursday night political podcast, boys. Yeah. Yeah. They announced it in 88, I think. <laughs> I'll get my staff to check that. Yeah, we'll take a look at that. 
<laughs> well, let's kick it off. Um, I'm going to actually start it for a change because I normally don't. Wow. Alpha dog. Oh, that's right. Um, and I'm going to play a record that uh, changed my world completely. Uh, it's De La Soul's Three Feet High and Rising. I was always interested in hip hop and I, I felt like I was introduced to it at different times and really kind of loved aspects of it. But it always felt like somebody else's music. It felt like I was a cultural tourist kind of having an adventure with somebody else's cool culture and just really enjoying it, but not feeling connected to it completely. And the De La Soul record felt like it was my record. It felt like these were my guys. This was like my crew. And they were so fun. And this is a record that I just loved and I listened to it constantly. So I'm going to play uh, Jennifer Taught Me from uh, De La Soul's debut, Three Feet High and Rising. 1989 is the year. It's Deep Cuts, Lost and Found, Round 16. <laughs> me home and said true gorgeous swing it swing it swing the downstairs where we met i brought records she cassettes lost the break found her shape jennifer o'jenny Transcripts show more than flirt. I love Daisy's better shirt. Grab my jeans, Jimmy scream, Jennifer oh Jenny. Marlowe's shaped like a boss. No one can live their life apart. Found a house, aroused my joust, Jennifer oh Jenny. Her clothes, I did shut. Just like Dan, I strictly stuck. To the punt, she cried, kick it, pasta noose was in. Jenny, only thought about Jimmy, but asked was I a virgin? Like some kid named Derwin. She said, let's try it in the bathroom. But the noose is way above sinks. So to the kitchen, she did Dan and came back practice and ran. Now, wait a minute. Little Derwin got something to show us that Jenny can never do. Listen. Hey, look at little Derwin. Look at him go. Look at him go. Oh, baby. Positions. Muscle flex, dove was lost in a Ghana hex. Passed her test, felt her teddy, Jennifer O'Jenny. Notions, soothe the mood, dove was lost in daylight heaven. Screen plug two, did the do, Jennifer O'Jenny. Jenny, tease my homeboy Granny. In fact, she teased so many, she was known as a garden tool. No more. I dispatched. Was it Jimmy had met his match, or could it be the realization all girls own a Jenny? Anyway, I just love this track so much. They're so fun. Uh, it's a record, you know, produced by Prince Paul. Uh, Prince Paul was part of Stetsasonic, and he was essentially like a, a young guy who was lucky enough to be in a big band, but didn't get to be creative. And he put all of his favorite creativity and all of his like 
favorite samples. Liberace is in this track. It's Chopsticks live at Carnegie Hall. I love that Prince Paul has the Liberace live at Carnegie Hall in his record collection. Lynn Collins is in here. Uh, Steve Miller and, uh, you know, uh, Take the Money and Run. Isley Brothers is in this track. I love this era. You know, there's a bunch of stuff that I could have picked in this direction, but, you know, I kind of want to leave that to other, other people in a way. But Paul's Boutique was a huge, huge record for me this year. And, you know, I guess, but uh, what? People's Instinctive Travels came out the next year right. after. But those three, the De La Soul, People's Instinctive Travel, and the Paths of Rhythm, and Paul's Boutique were just kind of groundbreaking records for me. They're like, you know, they kind of set this certain mold for uh, what I appreciate about hip hop. But you also just can't make these records anymore. Well, this is not available on Spotify because of all the samples. It's not available anywhere, right? Yeah, yeah. But the, you know, the you couldn't make Paul's Boutique anymore either in terms of, you know, the way they were using samples and, you know... Um, you just can't do that anymore. It's sort of something that's come and gone. Well, this record actually in many ways was the pivotal part of that problem because the copyright trolls went after this record and it was, I think, a Turtles song that was sued. They got sued over a Turtles sample. Damn Turtles. Not even by the writers of the song, but just dudes in the band. And then basically that got all the lawyers to get hungry and that's when hip hop began to take a shift. Yeah. And I feel like this is the, the golden era. I would also include Third Base's The Cactus Album in here because that's another amazing hip hop record. Also, <laughs> shout out to Third Base. Yeah, Third Base. Yeah, I like that Third Base record. This is fun. Super fun. So yeah, I just I just love this window of hip hop. And uh, anyway, wanted to share. So uh, let's see, uh, Billy Federico, would you like to take the next spot? Uh, sure. I've really struggled actually with this one um, because there are some obvious choices. Like we all know the Pixies and Stone Roses and The Cure. They were huge records that year. And um, I'm honestly not sure which way I'm going to go. Uh, I could flatter the French, uh, taking a page from your book, Tommy, and mm -hmm. choose uh, the Bill Pritchard song, Je n'aime which I do we have to listen to your process or are you just going to pick something? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do have to listen to my process. Okay. You're not allowed to mute me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, fine. I'll cut right to it. Um, let's see. You, you guys all know I'm a big Lloyd Cole fan. Uh, this is a song that was originally recorded with the Commotions in 86 during the mainstream uh, recording, but never made the album. Uh, it's just available on as a demo. And then Lloyd re-recorded it in 89 in his home studio to give to Red Wedge, which I think is a, well, was a political uh, group in England, uh, supported the Labour Party. Billy Bragg was a big part of it. And so Lloyd, I think, submitted this song for it. Um, but the song, I think, was a little too cynical and maybe had too uh, sharp a sense of humor. And so it wasn't selected for whatever record or promotion they were putting out. Uh, the song is called Everyone's Complaining. Uh, everyone's complaining, but no one's losing sleep. You know, everyone's a saint. It's a, it's a song that's, you know, it got a little bit of a cynical edge. It, uh, pokes a little fun at, uh, the activists in the world. Um, if there was justice in this world, it would have been a big hit. But, uh, as the lyrics of this song say, there is no justice in this world, at least as far as I've seen. Uh, this is Everyone's Complaining. It's Lloyd Cole, 1989. Deep Cuts. Say that, but 
fondly this window of listening to Lloyd Cole records and just, you know, I think Bill, you really led, I think all of us down that sort of uh, just falling in love with an artist and listening to the records over and over again, making it part of the tapestry of our like, you know, experience this year. Yeah. This is from cleaning out the ashtrays, which is a four CD little box set that he created. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard that song. That's great. No, I, I doubt many people have ever heard it. It's not on any record. He, he put out this rarities thing. I remember buying it. I think from him directly. I think it's now available, but for a while you had to get things from him. I mean, it, it was such a weird thing, you know. Lloyd Cole and the Commotions were huge. They break up. He goes to New York, records, you know, that album with the X through it, and then eventually settles in East Hampton, Massachusetts, of all places. And then I started seeing him at shows and whatnot, and just I've followed his solo career ever since. And he's fantastic. He's a super fan, by the way. That's right. But, he, you know, Lloyd Cole does something, he really threads a needle that's difficult to do, you know, to be sort of erudite, in some ways pretentious, <laughs> without being annoying, you know? I mean, yeah. it's kind of a hard thing to do, and I really think he does it well, you know? Like, yeah. I appreciate that about him. I think we're all trying to thread that needle. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think so. I think it's something we all want to shoot for. On that note, Chris, would you like to uh, thread the needle further? Yeah. Thread that needle, Nash. No pretense. Okay. So I think uh, I am going to go to our hometown of Boston. Nice. For my first song, um, a band on the local Tang label. So uh, give a shout out to the, the local area. This is um, the Lemonheads from their album Lick from 1989. And the song is Mallow Cup. 
um, which I really like a lot. You like the candy bar as well? I hope. Yeah, it's a twofer. I like I do like the candy bar as well. It's sort of yeah. Um, this is sort of the last incarnation of this band as an indie band. A because they would sign to Atlantic for the next record, but also just the personnel in the band would change after this record. They'd lose Ben Dealey and um, you know Evan Dando sort of became this alt rock uh, druggy sex symbol. <laughs> Yeah, like a sex symbol, but an annoying sex symbol. So, I mean, I like some of their records after this, but I think this is like their last, like, uh, hurrah as a local indie band. And that is something worth celebrating, um, especially where we come from. So, um, it's kind of a bridge song, too, between where he was and what he became. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So, let's go with uh, Mallow Cup, Tom. Hit it. I like that song. That's a great song. I love that song. It comes in at a svelte two minutes and 12 seconds. I mean, what you can't ask for more. I mean, you you, you can visualize yourself outside like a girl's window yeah. throwing pebbles. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's had that. <laughs> Trying to think you out of bed. Yeah. But it's got some great lines, you know, nothing in my eyes but yourself. Yeah. Um, some good stuff. Yeah, it's a good song. Absolutely. That was a mixtape song if there ever was one. Totally. For sure. Do you guys hear this story about... Uh, it just happened uh, this past summer in Falmouth where he lost his ID. No. He was getting on the ferry to go to Woods Hole. Does this involve him saying, I'm Evan Dando? Do you know who I am? No, no. Someone found it at Walmart, right? An employee found it at Walmart and then tweeted like, okay. Evan, I found your ID at Walmart. <laughs> and so he showed up at Walmart, brought his acoustic guitar and played a few songs for the guy. Oh, that's fantastic. That's awesome. That was a great, great story. I think if you find, I think it's still on Twitter. 
I'm terrified it's a PR company that cooked that whole thing up. Nah. <laughs> Evan, drop your ID in Walmart. <laughs> totally. All right. So, uh, Mr. Richard Ayer, where would you like to take us? Well, 89 is kind of a watershed year for me, I think. I was getting, I didn't realize at the time, but um, what was about to come down being a resident of the Pacific Northwest uh, and consume my heavy rotation bands to come in the 90s, early 90s, uh, I could have recognized those bands because a lot of their albums came out in 89. But I decided to look back on the 80s because we're saying goodbye to the 80s with this show, basically. And I wanted to go back to, I looked at the, uh, you know, the first podcast show I was on in ni- was 1980. And the first song I picked was a Joy Division B-side. Although Technique is not my favorite New Order album, um, I did want to recognize them and pick a song from Technique. I just listened to the album over and over again recently. This is probably one of my more favorite songs. That album is, as we know, uh, pretty dancey, pretty techy, uh, kind of the Acid House uh, New Order. It's a little bit of half and half, though. There's a yeah. There's some good blends, and that's I th- hope I picked a song that did kind of showcase those. But you know, Peter Hook's kind of wrestling throughout the album <laughs> <laughs> with the sequencers and all the digital stuff that's going on. Um, so I thought it would be a good way to sort of close the loop and pick a couple songs that recognize what I was into in the in the 80s. And there was an interesting tidbit. I don't know if you know, but the, the song uh, Run from this album is credited to John Denver as well. What? If you remember, there was, a law, there was a copyright lawsuit. If you look at the credits for Run... <laughs> In Spotify, it gives all, lists all the band members of New Order. And John Denver. And John Denver. <laughs> I didn't pick that song because it's not quite as deep cut as uh, Guilty Partner, but that is a fun fact for you. Sounds like a lot of lawyers were busy in 1989 in the music industry. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Was John Denver like, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way. I don't even know how you hear it. I've been listening to the new Technique record. Leaving on a jet plane in New Order on Technique. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. John Denver was like, who are these new overas? <laughs> Quote Dumb and Dumber, John Denver was full of shit, man. <laughs> Good call. He's a nice guy. Nice guy. Anyway, uh, without further ado, uh, this is Guilty Partner from the album Technique by New Order.
I gotta say, I really snoozed on this New Order record because it should have been a record I would have loved. It's pretty good. I know, and it's a record that's more dancey, which is really more my my version of New Order that I love. And True. for whatever reason, I never really listened to it, so I'm yeah. so glad you played this. I think it was the last New Order album I actually bought was probably this CD. I mean, Round and Round and Fine Time and uh, Mr. Disco, those are super electronic oh, yeah. songs. Yeah. They're fun. They're it's fun. super pretty and really, like, it reminds you of what you love about New Order in a really nicely encapsulated song. Great pick. Not my cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> there, there were a lot of people like Nash who were upset about yeah. it. What was the one right before this? Brotherhood. Brother, that's probably the last thing that's when I tuned out. That's when I tuned out. That was like my REM green. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? You bail, right. This was kind of my starting, I was starting to tune out on this one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Recorded in Ibiza. Even their later records are decent. I mean, there, there are obviously songs like Crystal, songs from uh, Waiting for the Sirens. They're still doing it. Maybe it's too happy. I think that was the problem or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't want to kill myself. Eh. <laughs> well, let's turn to the happiest of our bunch. Derek, play something happy. Yeah, where are you going to take us? Not the angry Samoans. I don't know if it's necessarily happy. It makes me happy. All right. So I'll give you that. That works. Okay. No, uh, at this time, I had seen this band a couple of times. Uh, they came to my school. You know, they were a short jump from where we were at a Hoboken. And... Um, this was a really great record. It was a combination of President Yolo Tango and this uh, new wave uh, hot dogs. You know, Yolo Tango, pretty much elder statesman of indie rock at this point. But I really appreciate them. They they really are willing to kind of mix it up and change in ways that sometimes don't stay with a band when they change in certain ways. Um, but sort of no matter what they do, I'm, I'm kind of happy to go along for the ride. But this is when I first uh, got in the car with them, was this record. And uh, particularly the song, Drug Test. Um, I just remember listening to the song a lot. And, you know, it's kind of anthemic, but it's kind of sad. You know, it's sort of this essentially sounds like a story of some deadhead staying up all night because uh, he's got a drug test in the morning and he really just wants to smoke some weed. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, but... Um, I think it's a great one, and um, you just got to give credit to Ira Kaplan and Georgia Ho- Hubley. Uh, this is before James McNew uh, joined the band at this point, so I think it was the producer, uh, Gene Holder, playing bass. But uh, it's a great song. It's a Drug Test uh, from Yola Tango. It's Deep Cuts, Lost and Found. Don't 
It's a really poignant appraisal of a <laughs> of a dude's rough night. <laughs> it's really great. That's my interpretation of what's happening. But he does he does name check a specific. I don't know if it's a Grateful Dead album or a Grateful Dead song, but I, I frankly don't know enough about the Grateful Dead to verify that one way or another. But I don't know. I think I take refuge in the them being this indie rock, still married couple. I think the uh, split of Thurston Moore and Kim Gordon really hit me hard. So <laughs> I'm thankful for uh, indie rock couples like them. Who Did you have to choose a side, Derek? Uh, I, 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 I went with Kim. Kim, I hope. I, I went with Kim. Yeah. Good. Thank God. Well, yeah. well played. Well played. After Thank the God. show's over, you can tell us who you really chose. <laughs> <laughs> well, she wrote a really good memoir, so I had to stick with it. <laughs> of course. Has Thurston not written a book? Yeah, I expect he probably has, but hers were better. Hers was better. And I fully expect that you will pick that up immediately. <laughs> <laughs> For the second round and my second pick, um, one of the things I was thinking about was records that I remembered really liking, but kind of forgot how much I liked them and then kind of moved on. And then you remember- Forgotten favorites? Forgotten favorites, as it were. Well put. Yeah. <laughs> and one of them is uh, the Blue Nile's second album. Yes. Hats. So good. I love this record, but I kind of stopped listening to it at some point. You know, it's a little bit like the chocolate is so strong that you just don't feel the need to, you know, go back to it. And the first record is so great that I kept on going back to the first record and just have that experience. And it was really, really enjoyable to go back and listen to the second record. And I wanted to play a song from that record. Uh, it is called Headlights on the Parade, my pick for 1989 and uh, Deep Cuts, Lost and Found.
really love how unapologetically emotional and sincere it is. Yeah. So pretty. This is sublime. They're a band from Scotland. Paul Buchanan's vocals are, I think, the feature that strike me the most. Uh, it's an interesting story in the making of this record. We you know we talked about ACDC and how like they made Back in Black in seven weeks. This is like the Back in Black of Scottish sophisticated pop. <laughs> <laughs> Tie Blue Nile and ACDC together. I want to hear this. Tie it up, Tommy. Put a bow on it. Let's see. Okay. Hear me out. Hear me out. So that record was done in seven weeks. This took over three years to get finished. Mm -hmm. Ah, juxtaposition. So it's a contrast. It's a contrast. <laughs> ah. Exactly. Well, considering that, then I think you stuck the landing. <laughs> there you go. I'm happy to hear this. It would have been harder to find a similarity between <laughs> Blue Nile and ACDC, but a contrast show. We'll give you credit for that. They're so different in many ways. <laughs> Um, yeah, you're right about his voice, though. I mean, he really just like... Oh, so sincere. Yeah, it's really... It, that sort of earnestness can come off as as really like nails on a chalkboard, but he really is just so great. I mean, I have to say, I don't listen to this album nearly as much as the first record, which I listened to a lot. Um, but, you know, it was good to hear it because... Um, it had been a while, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a really good record, too. Nice pick. It's a 10 out of 10. I tweeted it as my best album of 89, actually, just a couple of days ago. Great record. Love it. Yeah. I also love like the story of how difficult it was to make this thing. And so if anyone's ever curious, just go to the Wikipedia page on uh, the Blue Nile and you'll get a pretty interesting, you know, story about like the audio equipment company that essentially owned the label that they were releasing, the pressure they got Lynn? put under, Lynn, yeah, the, from the keyboards. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, they, they had this terrible writer's block. Paul had terrible writer's block. And they had to, <laughs> they went to a golfing resort town in 85 to do the record. And in 1989 is when it actually got released. And it's four years of just struggle yeah. and then they got back to i think glasgow and that was sort of how the record came together but it's such a beautiful album and such a special experience to listen to again so anyway thank you for that gift billy where would you like to take us in our second part of uh, this particular show yeah um you know I, i'll try to avoid giving my thoughts on why i chose the song i don't want to offend Derek. <laughs> um because because we don't really the listeners don't care why we chose the song well we don't need the whole decision tree but if you want <laughs> yeah, to go into like a little bit <laughs> You guys are just upset because I dropped like 10 bands' names. Exactly. I made a list of pros and cons. First, let me read the pros. Yeah, I want to hear about the song you picked, just not the eight that you didn't. <laughs> you don't want to hear all my honorable mentions. Okay, fine. <laughs> fine. I'll just say one then. I was about to choose Spaceman 3, but I'm not. See, he did it anyhow. Unbelievable. <laughs> wow. He doesn't care. Yeah, but you see what I did there? No, I don't. No. You did exactly what we told you not to do. Exactly. This is what Noah Bird did when he was on a few shows. <laughs> right. Good point, Rich. I'm taking his place. You're pulling a bird. You're pulling a bird. <laughs> so I'm going to try to link uh, my first choice and my second choice. So my first choice was Lloyd Cole. I'm going to choose The The as my second choice. And the link is Matt Johnson and Lloyd Cole, who um, both, number one, uh, work with Red Wedge, the political organization in England, but also lived next to each other or recorded next to each other, I guess, when they were both in uh, New York City. Matt Johnson sang on a song of Lloyd Cole's Memphis, and then Lloyd later sang on uh, Globalized from uh, Naked Self, Lloyd, uh, for those album. Um, well, I'm choosing a song from Mind Bomb, which came out in 89. I'm choosing the song Armageddon Days Are Here Again, uh, sort of a play on Happy Days Are Here Again, which I believe was the uh, theme of FDR's presidential campaign. 
The song is kind of apocalyptic. It's epic, uh, very intense, but it also has a show tune sort of quality to it. It's, uh, I think, a pristine production. My understanding is it costs $300,000 to record this record. Uh, Johnny Marr, of course, famously plays on this record. Uh, during this uh, recording process, I believe Matt Johnson, he said he was on a diet of distilled water and organic grapes, which he, uh, which he required the rest of the band to uh, participate in. And uh, I think that caused them to uh, hallucinate a little bit. Uh, but uh, yeah, the organic grape and distilled water diet. I'm not, I'm not sure that caught on. Let alone the plumbing problems. <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly the David Bowie cocaine and milk diet, but you know. <laughs> it's close. It's close. Don't forget the bell peppers. Cocaine, milk, and bell peppers. <laughs> Very close. And I can distinctly remember when I bought this record. I was working... In the summer of 89, uh, at Fidelity, changing tapes in a uh, mainframe computer room. You know, you'd get like this little display and they would say, you know, Singapore wants you to move tape, you know, 3069 to this other <laughs> terminal. And you'd, you'd go to the other room and you'd, you know, push all these things around. You'd find the tape, you'd go, you put it on the, the mainstream and then you go back to doing what you're doing, which was, I was reading books and, and listening to records. Um, Sounds like fulfilling work. Yeah. You were the, I, the late equivalent shift. of like, you like the thing inside the Flintstones television. Yes. You were like that. <laughs> it's a living. It's a living. Like, <laughs> you're like an actual part of a, a computer in the late eighties. Precisely. For those who are uh, checking us out on, um, on Patreon, you'll be able to see in the background the type of thing I'm talking about. Oh my the, goodness! Uh, the the mainframe computers that I worked on, and the uh, the stacks that I had to look through to find these things. I, I, apparently, I was an integral part of these financial transactions. And yeah, how's Singapore going to know what to do? If <laughs> Billy doesn't load tape number twenty five thirty nine onto uh, the mainframe. Right. Exactly. But the shift was overnight. I only worked three nights a week, and I'd work you know from like eight p.m. to eight in the morning, and I'd come out in the morning. Like, uh, you know, what's his name? Jamie from Bright Lights Big City, except I didn't have a Coke bender. But, you know, I'm greeting the day, you know, like everyone else is waking up and going to work and I'm leaving and like, but I used to go to Tower Records every Tuesday. And I distinctly remember picking up Mind Bomb because I could get there, you know, right at 9 a.m. And uh, it's just a great record. Uh, I later saw them at UMass um, during this this Mind Bomb tour, which I thought was just phenomenal. Uh, This is Armageddon Days Are Here Again. It's Deep Cuts. Tune in his grave. 
My God, that is some songwriting there. That's a yeah. lot going on there. Yeah. It's not a subtle song. It's a little bold and puts it all out there. I still can't get over the way it starts with this sort of like, you know. The, the Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad. Well, but it's it's uh, the beginning of Sweets, uh, Ballroom Blitz. Yeah, right, true. Right? Are you ready? Right. Let's go. It's the same. He does the same, same like, spiel. lyrics. A spiel is the beginning of Paul and Blitz. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> this is not my favorite the, the record by any stretch. And it's got a couple of songs I like on. I like this one that you played. I like Good Morning Beautiful a lot. That's a good one. But uh, overall, I got to say, it's it's not one of my favorites of theirs. Agree to disagree. Um, really? Yeah, well, it's not my favorite. Yeah. Because because soul mining is. But um, I'm not sure what number two is. It could, it could be Dusky. It could be this one. But uh, not all the songs are as bold and as brash as this one. There's a couple subtle songs. There's uh, Kingdom of Rain with Sinead O'Connor, yeah, right, which, is, right, right. which is a real pretty song. Yeah. Uh, August and September, which is a more subtle one. And Beyond Love, which is on the... The subtler side. I, I think you need to give it another listen, Chris. Okay, I will. I will. You've made an argument that I can't fight. It's got that beautiful picture of a dove on a bayonet <laughs> to draw you <laughs> in. Yeah, which is about as subtle as a sledgehammer. Well, Chris, would you like to do something subtle like a sledgehammer? Yeah, I'm sure someone someone can take you know take the piss out of me here, but um, and, and you know what, you've, you're going to have every right to because this isn't the deepest cut off this record. Oh no, challenge. Uh- so I'm ready uh, to go through the spanking machine on this one, but <laughs> backpedaling from the get-go. Yeah, I know. Bob Mould's workbook is a real, for me, is, is huge, one of the huge standout records of this year, and um, I have really vivid memories of this record because I I bought it on cassette, and um, at the time I had this black Subaru GL with uh, it had the sport package, which meant that it had some a teak luggage rack on the back. Yeah, that was very nice. <laughs> I was jealous of that. Yeah. So um, you got to polish up the teak from now and then. <laughs> Is that a euphemism? <laughs> um, that can mean whatever you want it to mean. But um, anyhow, the car was like a beater and it was like a hand-me-down from my mom. And um, it didn't last all that long for me. <laughs> but in the time I did have it, uh, I bought Blah Punk stereo system for it that was worth like triple what the car was worth. Um, and I just, I loved driving around in that car um, at college and over the summers, you know, between college. 
and um, and listen to music. And this, I remember, I just have a lot of memories of listening to this album, Workbook, in that car, driving around. And so the song I'm playing is, as I said, it's not the deepest cut. It's Wishing Well, mm-hmm. which comes after the uh, sort of the acoustic flamenco-y opening and just kicks in um, in a Bob Mouldy way. And uh, I just love this song. I love this album. And I love the memories it evokes for me. So I'll allow it. Hit it, Thomas. Deep cuts. so hard to step on a guitar solo man it's so good it holds up i think and um oh it really does the record does too it's a great album it was recorded at paisley park and uh it's got the drums um are anton fear who's really good on this um he's sort of the unsung hero of this record i think yeah golden palominos yeah the golden palominos and um 
and Paribu's uh, Tony Maimoni on the uh, on the bass. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a great record. I highly recommend it. As is their next record, Black Sheets of Rain. Yeah, I mean, I went back and listened to this, and while you know, I was like you, I, this is an extremely exciting record for me, and I listened. You know, I wore I wore this record out, um, uh, but. I kind of responded more to Black Sheets of Rain than to this, um, mm-hmm. you know, years later. You didn't like Bob going acoustic? No, I did. I mean, I still do. But in terms of like what I would what I wanted to recommend for the show, I was going to go Black Sheets of Rain. Yeah. But I, I mean, they're both amazing. I mean, it was exciting. It was like, oh, the Who's Do guy yeah. is going to do something different. And he's continued to do so. I mean, yeah, yes. I, he just he just played here the other night with uh, or last week. You know, with John Worcester of uh, Super Chunk and Jason Narducci, I really wish I had gone. He's still out there. Yeah, he's he's got a forty year discography, which is which is still good. Yeah, and he's still amazing. Yeah. He's amazing to see. He's still doing it. He's great. I, I loaned this CD to someone in my dorm. I won't mention his name. It took him forever to get it back. I'd like knock on his door every day. I was like that kid in. Uh, <laughs> What is that? I want my two dollars? Uh, yeah, right, right. <laughs> better off dead. You yeah. know, I'm like, can I get my workbook CD back? I found it on his door every day. Uh, yeah, I love this. It's great. It was a continuation of like what they did. Uh, Who's could do did with you know like hardly getting over it and too far down and yeah, yeah. Bob took it all the way and just uh, hit it out of the park. And he never quite came back to this, which is interesting because no. Black Sheets of Rain. He goes, he's like, ah. Give, give me my flying V again. I'm lighting it up. Right, and that goes into sugar, uh, you know, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, nice pick. Well, Rich, you're up next, my friend. So keeping my theme I mentioned already, looking back, part of uh, what I remember about the 80s, at least the in the early 80s, was trying to outdo each other with uh, obscure British bands. <laughs> some worked, some didn't work. I'm thinking Lucy Show worked. Yes. Lotus Eaters, maybe not so much. <laughs> um, Nash is a big fan. Lotus Eaters. Yeah, them and Blomange are on my head. Blomange, right. <laughs> oh, don't, yeah. don't get them started on Blomange. Uh, but uh, so this band, I don't think it was even, uh, this is their debut record in 1989. Uh, they're an offshoot of uh, House Martins. The House Martins oh, yeah. broke up. Some went on to form A Beautiful South, um, which is the song I'm going to pick tonight to share. And the other member was Fat Boy Slim, and he went on to do other great things but continuing the theme of the house martins maybe a little bit more complex orchestration but it's happy melodies with cynical lyrics and that's kind of my jam i like that kind of stuff uh the hits from this album were a uh, song for whoever <laughs> uh, which is a tender tender song and keeping it all in i think was the big hit from this album this time in 1989 but again i don't think it was released in the u.s i don't think and they had three or four more albums after this through 2007 2008 i don't think any of them were released in the u.s but they're a big hit in the uk so the song i chose is from under the covers from their debut album welcome to the beautiful south and uh take it away tom Yes. 
it's so fun. It's so warm. It's so inviting. It's like, and it's, it's a little bit like, you know, Billy Bragg meets uh, Prefab Sprout. You know, they don't have the same strident quality. Sold. In their first records. <laughs> <laughs> Bill's just, alg- his algorithm just like short-circuited when you said that. <laughs> That's good stuff. My roommate Dan loved Beautiful South. I mean, we liked House Martins and Happy Hour was always a, a, a big song on Friday nights and whatnot. But uh, yeah, he really liked this, the softer side. Yeah, me too. I have a soft side too. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, Derek, you get to close it out. Are you going to show us the soft side? Speaking of soft sides. Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, it's sort of my soft It's a soft side, <laughs> somewhat. Um, the guy who likes black sheets of rain over workbook. <laughs> well, I don't know. But, I, I, you know, the band Galaxy 500 has always been a huge, huge band for me. And, you know, they kind of had this incredibly short, amazing run, you know, between today, the album Today and 88, this record uh, on fire in 89, and this is our music in 90, three studio records and, and then done. But uh, the on fire record is my favorite of theirs. And I know they create a very specific mood every time I listen to them. You know, it's sort of this like sleepy, dreamy mood, you know, it's sort of like, you know, you just woke up at two after a really long, weird night. And <laughs> staring out the window as it's snowing. I don't know. But I, I, I love them. I think a lot of uh, a lot of their records have to sound the way they do because of this crazy producer, Kramer, who produced all their records. And also in the vein of, like, awesome indie rock couples, uh, you know, Damon uh, Krakowski and uh, Naomi Wang, the drummer and the bass player, are incredibly cool they literally run like a book publishing company that uh you know publishes a uh, surrealist uh dada another 19th and 20th century uh, uh avant-garde movement uh literature they're cool all around but um i love this song this is the song strange from galaxy 500 uh their record on fire rounding out deep cuts lost and found round 16 1989 is the year
I thought you really nailed the description of Galaxy 500 when you said like staring out the window and watching snow falling. Because I kind of feel like <laughs> I totally relate to that. I feel like I've listened to a Galaxy 500 record just mesmerized by nature and the chill from the window and the warmth of the house. And uh, it's just great. Yeah, I mean, they literally have a uh, they have a song called Snowstorm that whenever it is the first snow, I I put it on just because it's just sort of it's a tradition at this point. It's like, oh, it's snowing. I have to listen to that. Galaxy 500 song. Where's my Galaxy 500 <laughs> records? <laughs> <laughs> Danielle and Nico are like, quick, get the Galaxy 500 Get it, get it, get it. I don't know if there's other songs that mention eating a Twinkie. Yeah. I know. Could you ever make eating a Twinkie sound so cool? I mean, there may, there may be other songs. I, I can't think of any, but no one's ever sung it so poetically or with such meaning. Um, you know, I've eaten a Twinkie, but it never had the significance that it had for yeah. Dean. I'd go out on a limb and say, of all the Hostess cakes, it's really the most <laughs> the, the most underused in, in pop music. <laughs> the Twinkie as motif in modern college rock. Well, now that we have our sponsorship also sorted out for this particular episode. Yes. Hostess, give us a call. Yeah. Peace out. Uh, let's talk about further listening. So um, let's go around the horn. Uh, Derek, what would be your recommendation for further listening? The year is 1989. What do you want people to check out? Derek's just recommend listening to Galaxy 100 again. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe. No, I'm going to go with um, the uh, wonderfully uh, important Bad Brains. Nice. Uh, this year they put out a record called um, Quickness. And, you know, it's more polished and less thrashy than their previous releases, but it's still an incredibly powerful record and, you know, kind of showcases their kind of really amazing chops and the creativity of, like, you know, real foundational band and hardcore and punk, uh, particularly the song with the quickness on that record. Um, it's a great record. Listen to a lot around this time when it came out. Bad Brains, Quickness. This is after I against I, right? Yes. Is Rick Ocasek still producing, or is he done at this point? No, who produced this one? I don't All know. Right. Joel, Joel, get Joel on it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with uh, Camper Van Beethoven and the album Ooh. Key Lime Pie. Key Lime Pie, that's a good one. Nice. Oh. I was born in a laundromat. Matchstick Men. There are so many songs on that thing. Which uh, Come on, Darkness is an amazing song on that yeah. one. Uh, Jack Ruby is one of my favorite ones. Uh, it's just a great great album and it's kind of just one of those records that really holds up over time as an album from beginning to end you just kind of fall in love with each of the songs in a different way so camper van beethoven uh key lime pie is my pick from 1989 billy what would you like to recommend further listening nice um i won't even talk about honorable mentions i'll just get right to it derek um <laughs> <laughs> no i'm gonna i'm gonna recommend uh prefab sprouts protest songs which was recorded immediately after steve mcqueen but without thomas dolby sadly and it um didn't get released and then in 88 um what was it from langley park to memphis got released and that had the had some more poppy songs that were, got picked up. And then in 89, they re, they finally did release this protest songs. Um, but to little fanfare, it's uh, minimal, minimally produced compared to some of their other stuff, but it contains some great songs like Life of Surprises, Wild Horses, things like that. So I'm going to recommend uh, Prefab Sprout protest songs. Very nice. Chris? Um, I think I'm going to go with this album that uh, David Byrne curated called Belize Tropical. It's... Um, it's like a an anthology of of sort of a Brazilian rock 
It's it's really good, and it's the same thing. He put out Ray Momo this year too. Um, it, so I think this was like a big Brazilian year for him. Um, so anyway, it's it's a really good record, and I may or may not be playing a song from it in the bonus round mm-hmm. as a little mm-hmm. teaser. Wow! So stay tuned, folks. Is this uh, Luaka Bop's beginning by chance? I think it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Shout out to Jeffrey K, my friend from UMass, who went on to work at Luaka Bop with uh, David. What a fantastic label. I mean, so consistently exciting and great. Yeah, I, my, my respect for, for David Byrne is endless. Uh, Rich, what would you like to recommend? Further listening, 1989. I'm going to break the rules, but I don't care. What? This is a Greatest Hits album. It was released in 1989. I don't care. Oh, Jesus. Uh, this is Lloyd Cole and Commotions, 84 to 89, came out. I'll allow it. Oh, well, Bill's suddenly and okay doubling. with it. <laughs> and doubling down on, on uh, big year... <laughs> I came this close to kicking you off the show like I have that authority, but I'll allow it. Big show for Lloyd Cole tonight. Shameless sucking up to our super fan, but... (laughs) Friend of the show. Friend of the show. I had spent two months uh, of hell on a boat in the middle of Bristol Bay in Alaska. That sounds like an album title from one of Guided by Voices records. Couldn't get off the boat. (laughs) We were processing salmon. I went to bed every night with scales stuck to my skin and the tendonitis in my hands from grabbing fish all day and the only thing that kept me going was music and Lloyd Cole Rattlesnakes Easy Pieces uh, and Mainstream were the the albums that I listened to and and this Greatest Hits summarizes all three of those albums has all the best songs and I listened to those albums that summer quite a bit so the music uh, Cigarettes and Strong or Heavy Duty Rain Gear really got me through that summer beautiful so if anyone else for further listening wants to choose a deep cut like a greatest hits record, <laughs> no longer allowed. But I, I took the one mulligan. <laughs> right. I will say, though, that there is something really great about a well-curated greatest hits record because there's a lot of them are terrible and they're just they just simply choose poorly. But uh, some of the really great ones. Some of them just have the hits. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Well put. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's go to our voting. Or actually, let's talk about social media really quickly. So we're kind of all over the place now. Billy, you want to break it down for us? We are. Can- we're everywhere. We're on Twitter. Um, if you just search for Deep Cuts Lost and Found, you'll find us on all these things. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, you'll find us there. Also, we have Patreon for our premium bonus content where you can subscribe and get extra posts from us, including the next round. So after this show, we do another round. The winner of this round gets to lead the next round, and we do it for one more round to go, and uh, it's a lot of fun. So check us out. Well, it perfectly sets up uh, the the batch from tonight. So let me read off what we heard tonight, and you guys can prepare your uh, your favorite picks. Yes. Uh, I opened it up tonight with uh, De La Soul's Jennifer Taught Me from Three Feet High and Rising. Billy followed up with Lloyd Cole's Everyone's Complaining uh, from Cleaning Out the Ashtray. Chris came in with the Lemonheads Malo Cup from Lick. Uh, Rich came in with New Orders, uh, Guilty Party from the album Technique. Uh, Derek came in with uh, Yola Tango, Drug Test from President Yola Tango. Uh, I played uh, the Blue Niles, Headlights on the Parade from their second album, Hats. Uh, Billy came in with the Thus Armageddon Days Are Here Again from Mind Bomb, featuring uh, Mr. Johnny Marr on that album, among many other talents. Uh, Chris came in with Bob Mould's in wonderful record workbook is the album wishing well is the track uh rich came in with the beautiful south uh from under the covers from their welcome to the beautiful south i believe their debut 
And uh, Derek closed out the show with uh, Galaxy 500 and the Staring Into the Snowflakes Wonder of Songs. Strange is the name of the song. On Fire is the name of the album. Are you guys prepared to put in your vote and uh, pop in what you think is the most exciting uh, discovery of the night? Yep. I'm just honored to be among these great nominees, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So on a one and a two and a three, why don't you guys go ahead and pop it in there? That's what. Uh, oh, dip. I believe Tommy won. Tommy did it. Ever the day. Tommy won both with the most popular song <laughs> and getting three overall votes. Nice, right? Two day less soul, one blue Nile from me. It's not a mandate, but it's a win. It's nice. It's, it's, it's a clear win. <laughs> not a mandate, man. <laughs> it's not a straight I'm touch. giving you the mandate. It's not, yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> Maybe happy to hear that song. Very happy about it. For just yeah. this one time, we'll let you lead off the next round. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> See, starting out helps sometimes. So uh, without further ado, we're going to wrap up this wonderful show. Uh, it has been 1989 is the year we've been exploring. Deep Cuts, Lost and Found, round 16. I am here with my very best friends from high school. Derek Brain, Bill Federko, Chris Nashawati, Rich. Air, myself, Thomas Golovich. We are really enjoying these and really happy that you joined us on it. We'll be tackling 1990 next, which is super exciting. Or maybe another show. We'll see. We'll come back and let you know soon. So catch you all soon, guys. Cheers.